Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Aveda. We're going to allow our audience just a moment or so to join in today and get settled. And we'll be back with you in about a minute. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, a perfect pair, workplace incident investigations and an international standard, sponsored by Aveta. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor at Safety and Health. I'll be moderating today's event. We'd like to thank you all for joining us for this webinar. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items that I'd like to share with all of our attendees today. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session with our speaker. To ask a question, just simply click on the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and press the send button. You may ask your question at any time at all during our presentation. You do not have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible today, but we might not get to every question. The good news is that any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. This webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll receive a link in our post-event email. With that, let's introduce our presenter. With us today is Peter Sturm, who serves as the Senior Safety, Health, and Risk Management Executive for Sturm Consulting. Peter assists companies in strategically managing safety and health risks while effectively capitalizing on their human capital assets. He is the co-author of Accident Investigation Techniques, third edition, which is published by the American Society of Safety Professionals. Among his many honors, Peter was chosen as the Canadian Society of Safety Engineering's Safety Professional of the Year in 2015, and its Outstanding Service to CSSE Volunteer of the Year in 2019. Again, we thank you all for turning into this presentation today. And Peter, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Great. Thanks very much for the introduction, Barry, and uh, welcome everybody to the session. Uh, I really try to make this interactive as, as we can with online here, uh, but your questions are really important to us. We are going to do a couple of polls as we go along just to gauge uh, where people are with investigations. Um, and again, looking at uh, workplace incident investigations has, uh, for me, been a passion over the, the number of years that I've been involved with it, uh, coming from a workers' comp system here in Ontario. 
Um, but, you know, again, I hope that by the time you leave today from this session, um, you know, you will look at workplace incidents uh, at your workplace and having an investigation program that is aligned with the standard. Um, there has been work done over the last uh, several years on this standard, and uh, it is hope that uh, as we move forward, you'll be able to uh, go from there. So a couple of objectives for today. Um, you know, in looking at what's what's been going on with incident investigations, uh, you know, how do we understand and integrate uh, investigations uh, into your investigation program? But also looking at the Z or Z1005, it's just been updated incident investigation standard that's been created. Um, and so uh, we've looked around around the world uh, for other standards, and we haven't found any. There are a lot of uh, separate organizations that. Uh, have set up uh, their investigation programs. We're also going to look at, so how do we apply the investigation standard? Um, I'm going to show you some of the tips and tricks that we went through uh, in moving this forward. Um, and again, looking at how do you enhance your investigation program? And one of the issues also is, is that how can you be successful and get success with your investigation program? Um, companies that I've audited, I did over there's over a thousand audits of companies that were poor performers. And one of the areas that we came upon in our audit, uh, the incident investigation piece, there was always a piece of paper with some, some data or some information on it, but it got only to that point. And they kept getting the repetitive nature of the same incidents happening over and over again. And one area one that I think we added to the, to the standard was the, the fact that we identified the investigator competencies. And the reason for that is a lot of times we kind of pull out of the air as to what we think. We develop a training program for investigators and investigations. But one of the nice things about the standard was that we were able um, to identify competencies in there. And then I use them myself, even you know, being in the profession for so many years, uh, just to go back and look at that. And I'm going to show you how I looked at that part of the standard. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the standard. Uh, to a lot of people, it's one of the best kept secrets around. Uh, there was a review done back in 2021. And what, what were the changes that came in? There's some pretty dramatic changes that happened. I'm going to let you know what's new uh, with respect to the investigation standard and how the update affected the standard. We're going to go into some of those areas. Um, and how best for your organization to implement the standard. We're also going to look at, you know, how does it help me as an investigator to be the best in my occupational health and safety practice, but what's in it for me? Um, and a lot of times investigators struggle with it. Um, I teach at a university course level and a certificate program, and it's, it surprises me the number of people that do incident investigations and really have limited knowledge, experience, or skills in that area. And again, why would we expect someone to do an effective investigation if we haven't given them those appropriate skills, knowledges, and the resources to be able to be good at it? And how can that standard help me to improve my existing program? Um, a lot of times, uh, it's a, incident investigations are uh, you know, work in progress, but also let's look at you know, what are some of the next steps to, to effectively using this standard. Um, there is nothing in there about regional, national, or international um, issues. Um, it is a standard that applies everywhere, and we'll get into some of those features that are there. Living in this world of COVID, you know, and a lot of us thought, you know, the world is temporarily closed, things got shifted around. But one of the things that happened is investigations didn't stop. Health and safety didn't stop. 
And one of the nice things with this incident investigation standard is that we found that, you know, it became applicable to a lot of the situations that were there. And the simple analysis or analogy that I use is that investigations are done when I have some type of a problem. And how do I address that problem effectively? A lot of workplaces, what they do is they don't effectively address them and they keep having the same thing coming over and over again. So at this point, just to gauge as to where, you know, the, the audience is, uh, Barry, I'm going to refer it back to you. And if we could do a poll as to gauge as to where people are with respect to incident investigations. Thank you, Peter. And, and folks, you, we'll give you about 30 seconds to answer the question here. Choose the answer that's most appropriate for you. And our question today is for your present incident investigation program, please choose the best answer that describes the approach or tool that you use for your investigation program. And we'll give you about 30 seconds or so to answer that. Feel free to tap your response and give us your vote. Okay, and we'll move forward here and we'll post up the results here. And Peter, it looks like we have a couple fairly even answers here. We've got uh, two of them at 24% third-party investigation program and regulatory agency, and one right behind the 23%, a copy that a colleague provided from their company investigation program. Peter, you know, what's your reaction to what we're seeing here from our audience today? Yeah, this is, these numbers are really, really representative of, of what's out there in, in workplaces all, all over the world. Um, you know, you get, you know, some people that just have this, you know, piece of paper, they write the information on. I've gone when especially doing audits, and you'll find these little pieces of paper um, in, in, the, uh, in the folders with respect to the events that have happened, the date, time, whatever happened. Um, yeah, people get it off the uh, internet. Uh, they'll find a form. Uh, interesting, while I teach, and one of the questions I ask is, you know, uh, find a good incident investigation form, and, and people are pretty quick to get to it. Um, you know, copy that someone else has given you. Well, that, that's an interesting piece, uh, because what happens a lot of times is, is that what my, my friend Mary or John use in their workplace and say they're in mining or construction and I'm in healthcare, is that going to really apply? Um, and how do I start to work with that and, and move it forward? And there's nothing wrong. I mean, the, 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 to me, the uh, greatest uh, uh, compliment you can make to someone is, is that if you can beg, borrow, or steal what they've used, but does it really work for you? And this standard is going to help you to get there. It's going to help you to take a look at all these different pieces of information that you have and bring it together. Yeah, uh, other, a lot of people are using, you know, uh, third-party programs out there. They're great, but are they aligned to a standard? Um, and, you know, it could be that somebody just, you know, came up with this program, did a lot of investigations, but does it apply? Does it work for me? Does it get me to the point where if I sit in a meeting in front of the senior leadership team and maybe a supervisor or manager that really doesn't want me to come up with the, you know, the solution that's there, the first question is going to be is, well, you know, how's your investigation, you know, uh, coming up with that solution? Simple answer, it's aligned to a standard. And it's aligned to a standard that's been developed and consistently applied. And then you get regula regulatory agency ones. Um, the number of places that use workers' comp or insurance carrier forms um, you know, OSHA's got a great one in the reporting of, of that information, but it's reporting of, of that information to an agency for a specific purpose. But if you're using a workers' compensation form, are you going to be able to get to that prevention piece? 
So some really good information. Let's see if we can kind of integrate all of those different areas in, into today's session. Okay, thanks, Barry. Okay. So one of the things that I'd like to kind of just take two minutes of your time is, is talk about a story about a, a young man by the name of Lewis Whalen. This, this, uh, this situation was in the Toronto Star. Uh, Steve Russell did a phenomenal job on it. This is a young worker, two days on the job, working for a contractor, cleaning, clearing brush for a hydro utility up in Northern Ontario. And this one really strikes for me as to what the importance of incident investigations are. He was a young man uh, in his early 20s, uh, saving money to go to college. Uh, two days into the job as they're cleaning brush, they, of course, high voltage lines, the brush came down and uh, struck him uh, with these live wires. No training, subcontractor on a site, happens all the time with this electrical contact. And for me, this was kind of a situation of, of a learning piece. 2002, I was working at workers' comp at the same time. And this story really resonated for me as to why we need to do effective incident investigations. He became a triple amputee, uh, suffered enormously. His body, because of the number of skin grafts, they had to take skin part, parts off of his body um, to, for the grafting that had to be there. But he was starting to get his life and coming together. He was working hard at it, triple amputee. You can see in the, the, the diagram in the, the picture on the right, uh, he was given a prosthesis, working towards it. And actually what happened is he started to uh, live on his own. His parents lived up in Northern uh, Ontario. He was living in Toronto. He needed the care, he needed the accessibility, but he's really a good story for me from the standpoint of he's given, inspired me with respect to incident investigations. If most of you know, in, in North America in August of 2003, we had the power blackout. He needed air conditioning to survive uh, just because of the heat, because his body could not naturally cool. And in August of 20, uh, 2003, he passed away in his, in his home um, and a tragic situation that happened. And, you know, looking at it, this was the outcome of the impact on his family. And for me, you know, when we look at the events that happened on an ongoing basis, you know, this story of me, of Lewis, a young man, he would have been probably close to 40 years old at the present time. And we need to do effective investigations. We need to solve those issues that are happening in a workplace. When you're looking at, you know, a young worker working for two days at a site with no training, with overhead wires, with brush falling on into him, and the impact that it had on his family. And we all have these stories, but we need to move forward with this investigation. So this is really, really important for us to, to move forward. Um, and this story resonates for me, and we all know these Lewis Whalens in this world, and we need to move forward and do these effective investigations. So uh, getting to, to the CSA uh, Z1005, uh, one of the nice things that has happened is, and you've got copies of it here, you can actually go in and have free access view to it. So one of the nice things with a lot of, well, one of the things with a lot of standards is that you're not able to take a look at those standards as you go along. Go into it, here is the link, go to store, free view access, take a look at it. For me, it's like buying a new car. You're not gonna buy a new Lamborghini and not take it for a spin, take it out for a spin. One of the nice things that's also developed, and I'll spend some time on talking with it, talking about it also is that with the change that we did in 2021, we actually developed an implementation guide on how to use it. So you've got the standard that you can start to work with. And now we also have an implementation guide for incident investigations. 
I'll be very honest with you to admit with many standards that I've looked at is I start to read it. I get bogged down into it. I, can't, I get lost. I get frustrated. I can't find to use it. And I don't go into those standards. I tell you, I want to tell you, go in to look at it. You can get the free access. You can look at the standard. You can play with it, go through it. You can compare it to what you have with your program and it'll take you systematically through that. The implementation guide is not free, but what they've done is with this, is that you can purchase both of them, but please take it out on for a ride and, uh, and, and go from there. So looking at the, the Z1005, you know, it, it is titled Workplace Incident Investigation. We didn't use the term accident investigations uh, because what we wanted to do is we wanted to, you know, keep it from getting away from the, the terminology of accident to an incident. And again, it is a workplace incident investigation standard that's designed for all types of workplaces. Okay. A lot of the programs that you'll see out there are applicable to large organizations. This can work for a small company with three employees. It can work with a large company with 35,000 employees. It's designed to move you through this pathway. And the standard is a pathway to developing your own specific investigation program to meet your company needs. And so um, it, it is, you know, when you start to look at how it has evolved, um, it's, it, it is designed, uh, we have 35 people, and, and so 35 people sitting around the table for almost four years to come up with a standard um, was pretty impressive and to come together with it. We had labor at the table, we had employers, we had providers, we had safety associations, we had regulators around the table, and we didn't bring in any of those you know, things that people had. We specifically developed an incident investigation standard that could apply for small to large companies and also be, be specific. It could be a very complex organization or it could be very, very simple. And one of the nice things also is, especially when you get into some companies that have become multifaceted, you know, you can have a company that does construction work, but they do steel fabrication and manufacturing, and then they can be doing cement uh, operations all are totally different operations, but how do you take that incident investigation and work with it and bring it together? And that was one of the, the beautiful things that were kind of put together in the design of what we had developed. So the, the review was done in 2021. This standard was started in 2014 and it wasn't published until 2017. And this was a group of 35 people meeting almost on a monthly basis to come up with a standard. What happens though is, is that with the Canadian Standards Association is that there is an improvement of, you know, of, uh, there's a continuous improvement philosophy. And so what happened was we were asked to come back in 2021 to update the standard. And that's what we did. And one of the elements that came back was we used to have an annex at the back with forms and, and different things that people can use. And we as a group decided to build this implementation guide this how to, how to best apply the CSA standard to it. And again, it's, it's titled the, this, you know, the, and it's a companion document uh, that provides advice. Really, really important, um, especially for someone that's in an organization that might be a sole practitioner, might be an HR person in that organization, and now needs to develop a, an incident investigation program. Um, why not build it and build it systematically, put a team together to go from there. One of the other features that came in, 45,001, um, in Canada, we also have the Z45,001 uh, that was developed in 2019. So what we did is we updated it with the same terminology 
to ensure that there's consistency among the standards. So what happens now is that when you take a term like risk or hazard or whatever, it aligns to the OHS management system so that we have that consistency of application. A lot of times what I find is, is that you get other standards and you try to use them, but they define risk differently or they just define hazard differently or an investigation differently. So that's the beauty of the standard is that it is integrated um, it does align with the management system and the terminology is there, but also it's been updated. It's been a uh, you know, work in progress. And I, I had the, the fortunate opportunity to chair this review um, and it's just an amazing undertaking that kind of came together. So what's new? There were a couple of changes that came in. One of the things that we came up with was the definitions. Um, I know many of you have sat on standards committees uh, the definitions are usually some of the most difficult conversations that you can have in terminology. But what we did is, and especially with 45,001, because it is international, um, you know, we have aligned it in the Canadian market, but, but 45,001 is 45,001. And so we know that now that the instant investigation standard that we have is aligned to that terminology. Um, one of the issues that came up was that instant investigation planning uh, of, is an integral part. Um, one of the things that happens with a lot of organizations, and it walks you through those sections in clause 4.4.1. And we updated it because the planning phase is that if you do the planning right, your investigation is going to be way, way more effective. You don't have the time or the energy at the time to start to plan for your investigation. So it's one of the, the areas that really uh, moves forward. Um, what it really does is it gets into the space of the organization, into the senior leadership team, but also into the investigation team, whoever that may be, so that they are prepared. They are, they are given the training. They do have the right documentation. They also have that they'll have to second guess what steps they're going to do when an event occurs. We took out clause five was removed and we, we did some adjusting with it and we, we brought it in to make it simpler and to have a better flow. But again, most standards, standard four, five and six clauses are usually the planning phase, the implementation, and then doing the, the whatever that step part of the standard. In this case, it's the investigation. And what we did also, as I said, is the, the informative annex material that we had, we put it into the implementation guide, the how-to. And what's really, really nice about that is when you have an annex, then the reader has to kind of go back and look in the standard where we're going to find it. We actually aligned it to every section of the standard. So you can see the section of the standard, and then you can see how can I implement it into my workplace. So we really tried to make it an easy approach and not having somebody bouncing back and forth all over the place. Because that happens a lot with the annex material. It's, you know, we've, we find that with books, it's down the back and then you wanna try to find it in some chapter two or whatever, or here at clause number five, you don't have to keep going back and forth. So that's what we did. We, we cleaned it up. We did a lot of work on that area. Um, how will that update affect the standard? Um, as I said, it's current, it's very, very user-friendly. Um, what we also did was the free access. Um, many standards, I know if you look at Z10 uh, and all those standards, you have to kind of buy them before you can use them. I'm not sure if you can get free access, but with this standard here, and I hope more of the standards become that way, you have a chance to take a look at it. You know, view the value, look at what those enhancements are, 
consider, you know, will it improve or I have nothing in with respect to my health and safety program. And so, you know, um, maybe this is my starting place. Um, also, it's a reasonable cost. And the standard, the way it is built, it is on, you know, this how to, how to build it, how to do it, rather than saying in most standards, you shall do this or you're required to do that. This will help you to improve your program. You can make it specific to your company. You can, it can reflect the needs of your organization. Again, doesn't need to be complex. One of the things that I uh, do, you know, in my investigation courses when I teach it is, you know, is your investigation program flexible or is it rigid? And it depends on the organization. Some organizations uh, that are large and bureaucratic, they're very, very rigid. But as an investigator, can you integrate the two approaches and get a hybrid? And I believe this standard will help you to get there. Um, and so, you know, um, it'll help you develop it to make it specific, but it'll also help to make you be able to meet the expectations of the organization. Some organizations are very militaristic and it's one, two, three, four. You get into others that are kind of free flowing, you go from one to nine to six to three, bouncing back and forth. So what is it that you need with your investigation program so that it starts to meet the needs of your organization? And that's what's one of the beautiful things with this program. So how best can this standard, you know, uh, how best to do it? Build an investigation program that meets your organization needs, but also that it meets your needs as an investigator. Because what happens many times is you get these forms, and I've done it. Um, the organization I was working for, we had 4,000 employees. And the, the supervisors will fill out the form, you know, check all the boxes and all that. But we kept getting the same events. And I said, so why is this happening? It wasn't meeting the needs of the organization. So, you know, and, and, and to me, that's just that exercise and futility. Because, you know, we had a lot of repetitive strains and injuries, a lot of slips, trips and falls. And we everything was documented beautifully, you know, the date, the time, Mary fell, you know, next time be more careful, those type of things didn't get to any recommendations, it didn't get to any solutions, and there wasn't any continuous improvement loop in, in, your, uh, in, the, in our investigations. This standard helps you to get there because it takes you systematically through those points. Um, and also it aligns it to a recognized standard. Um, it is, you know, we've looked around the world for other standards uh, that were out there for workplace incident investigations, so weren't there. So again, um, you know, it does, it does help you to move through those steps. So what can the, the standard do for me as an investigator to become the best? And as I said, in section, go look at the, the standard for free. And uh, there are investigator competencies in 6.2.2.2 uh, of the implementation guides, but they're also in the standard. Excellent for any investigator to update your skills, your knowledge, and your experience. So one of the things I like to tell you is I, I went back to it to look at it, done hundreds of investigations, and I started to look at the competencies of areas that I needed to work on to enhance my skills uh, as a safety professional. And one of them was communication. Uh, how do you effectively communicate? And a lot of times, so a lot of times the communication, if it happens, could happen at the time of the event or maybe a couple of days or a couple of weeks later. But what about the communication before? You know, what are the, the competencies of the investigators that are there? Why are we doing them? Why are we doing this, doing instant investigations? Are we there to find fault, which we're not? We're there to collect facts. We're there. So one of the terms that we use that we took out of it, and it was a, a, 
the discussions were phenomenal there. A lot of investigation programs talk about evidence. What evidence do you have to support it? One of the problems that happens is this is not a regulatory investigation. It is an investigation to prevent future outcomes and solve problems in workplaces. So we changed the term, and we spent a lot of time on this. Rather than talking about um, evidence, we talked about data. A very simple term, but a, a total change in the focus that we went through. So you will not see in there any words at all with respect to evidence. It is all about data, and data could be a picture. It could be a you know it could be a, a piece of uh, a policy. Anything could be considered a data. But what it also did for the investigation was that when we talk to workers and supervisors, we start to talk about evidence. All of a sudden, the hair in the back of their necks goes up because oh, they're trying to find fault. Who's going to get in trouble for this? We talk about data. You know, was that lift truck that you were using? Did you do a circle check? What's the information on that? What's the data? rather than the evidence. Um, where, was that person trained? What is the data on it? Were they trained or not? And it takes you away from fault. And it does the same thing for supervisors and managers, and it does the same thing for workers. And so for me, the big piece on communication was an aha moment. Because for me, always I thought, okay, you do your investigation, get your recommendations, get management to review it, approve it, and then send out a communication. Well, in this process, in the standard, communication happens throughout. It actually starts even before, you know, it's building a communication plan, that you have a plan, that you have messaging. And there are a lot of good examples out there where, you know, when you look at Deepwater Horizon, you look at Black Magantic, you look at a lot of situations where communication was not done well, either prior to the event or after the event and getting that information out. And if you don't communicate the, you know, the, um, situations will happen where people will start to try to guess as to what's happened. Uh, the rumor mill will start to go or people will start to change all the information they have. So communication is integral to it. Another one for me was the prevention part, the integration of prevention, um, which is a whole change for it. The original title for this standard was Instant Investigation and Prevention Program. Um, took it out because we wanted to keep the title short, but for me, prevention is always that part of it. And that takes me back to that Lewis Whalen case. And also, um, you know, getting from fault finding to fact finding, which was really, really important on data to support those findings. So, you know, how can you, uh, you know, improve your existing program? You know, if you're, if your investigations aren't aligned to a standard, um, here's one to do it. It's not a regulatory or an enforcement standard. If you live in Iowa and there's a certain state regulation that's there with respect to a regulatory and enforcement piece, you're not gonna find it in there. Um, it looks at the prevention piece. For me, regulatory uh, standards are usually the minimum and we wanna get beyond that. We wanna get to the point of getting to that prevention piece gathering that data, coming up with some good review, you know, review and analysis and getting to the recommendations, but also building that business case to get those changes to happen there. One of the nice things also is because we have uh, several other standards, there is also the Z1002, which is the uh, Occupational Safety Hazard Identification, Elimination of Risk and Assessment Control Standard. What's nice is that, again, they're tied together. So you have an event that happens um, and you say, well, why didn't we know about this? 
can you go back to your hazard identification risk assessment standard and say, did we miss this one? And a lot of times, 95% of the time, we get you know, what the major risks and hazards are, but sometimes we do miss them. And so what's nice about that is, is that this is aligned to it. It actually makes reference to your hazard identification and risk assessment and control standard in, in your workplace so that you can find out where that happened. The nice thing also is the investigative provincials uh, principles are aligned to prevention. Um, and I believe that again, what happens is that people understand or appreciates it, appreciate it and it, that you're going to get to a prevention outcome, they'll be a lot more open. Uh, yep. So I was just kind of wrapping it up. So, um, you know, the CSA standard will be uh, in the, the, the new text coming out in 2021. What I just wanted to do now, Barry, is if we could go to the poll and uh, see the uh, and poll the, the participants and then we can get to the Q&A. Absolutely. That sounds good, Peter. We will launch that poll here. And we've got another poll for you, folks. Um, we would like to know that after today's session and now knowing more about the CSA, Z1005 investigation standard, what will be your anticipated next steps? And we have six different possibilities there for you to choose from. Please go ahead and choose the one that fits you the best. And uh, we look forward, we'll give you about 30 seconds or so to answer that poll question. Okay, and now we'll move forward and push through the results here. And Peter, overwhelmingly, folks are saying they're gonna take a look at the free access CSA Z1005 standard and implementation guide to review the standard. Um, Peter, we did want to, to touch on you. We did have some folks try to get to the CSA group website and uh, they had some difficulty getting to the free access version. Uh, so we will go ahead and make sure that our attendees today uh, do have a link in the post-event email uh, that will take them to that free access. I believe you probably, um, you might have to start an account, for example, on that website. Is that correct, Peter? Uh, uh, you, yes, you'll have to log in. Okay. Um, so what'll happen is, uh, yeah, if you log in, if you go to store and then log in, um, you know, use an email address and nothing, it'll take you right in um, and you won't get any spam stuff from them. So uh, it is a reputable organization. Um, and yes, because uh, one of the things that I'd like to do is track, you know, if people are looking at the standard, um, that's just one of the things there. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Um, Peter, I wanted to, to get to a couple questions here for you as we move along here. Um, the first question we had for you is um, that the standard was developed in Canada. So how would it apply to example for, for my work sites that are not in Canada? And um, Again, it doesn't make any reference to any particular um, uh, jurisdiction or legislation. Um, it is strictly an investigation standard in building on that. It does refer you to as you're going through the process. So, I mean, you could have multiple sites across the U.S., one in California, one in New York, and the, the regulatory pieces could be a bit different, some of the reporting requirements, but, but it walks you through that. So you're able to... Uh, build your program as you go through. So uh, yeah, so I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, there is nothing in there that will tie you to any type of regulatory perspective. And we did that on purpose. Um, in Canada, we have 13 different uh, sites, uh, 13 different jurisdictions. In the US, it's a little bit different, um, but also we have a lot of uh, our companies that are multinational. 
And uh, one of the feedback points that we're getting from our uh, uh, members on the committee is that it applies anywhere. So great question, uh, but you don't need to, you know, there will be no Canadian specific pieces in that legislation that's there. Great, sounds good, Peter. We did have a, a question that just came in. Uh, we're, we're seeing the uh, accident investigation techniques book on the screen currently. And one of our audience members mm -hmm. asked, is the book on screen available now or how can someone learn more about the book? Yeah, so the second edition is out there. The, the thing is that the third edition is right now with uh, the publisher at ASSP. It is hopefully gonna be available by January of 2022. And that version, this third edition, um, will include the CSA standard in it. Um, the CSA standard references. So we talked about things, there is a section on competencies. So when you look at techniques, one of the things that uh, Jeff Folkley put in there was, you know, what are the competencies of an investigator? Now we've integrated those uh, elements that are in the standard into the book. So you'll have, you can have the standard, the guidebook, and then this, this uh, will probably morph into courses or uh, for those that want to learn on their own. Great, thank you for that, Peter. We had a couple questions come in that I wanted to share with you and I'll, I'll uh, merge these two questions together. Um, one of our audience members asks, uh, you know, obviously uh, CSA Z1005 is a Canadian standard. Is there an analogous US standard? And also someone asked, is there an OSHA equivalent to this standard? Didn't find it. We, we looked, uh, we looked through the, uh, the ANSI Z standards to find it. Uh, we looked into the UK, um, so we uh, I haven't we haven't been able to find one. If you Google, you know, incident investigation standards or accident investigation standards, you'll usually get a third party provider. But I haven't anything come up from OSHA. Now OSHA has specific reporting requirements that I know a lot of Canadian companies do report, but they're more you know event that, those type of things that and and number of events lagging indicators. Um, so uh, we couldn't find any uh, to be honest with you. We didn't even look at uh, some of the ones that are out in the marketplace. Uh, we specifically built the standard with the, the methodology of building an incident investigation program um, that didn't rely on any one particular piece out there. But uh, we did do a, uh, some research on trying to find if there were other ones out there and, and I was yet to find, there might be something on some specific areas. We had one that was developed back in 1996 but it was more on just reporting information for workers' comp purposes. So yes, so they're, they're you know, but it is generic enough. Um, even with this book here, uh, we didn't get into any of the specific legislation in the, the respective jurisdictions. Um, so if anybody knows one, my contact information is here. I'd, I'd love to take it back to our committee, but we, we just couldn't find one at that time. Okay, that answers the that question, Barry. Yeah, next question we have for you, Peter, is uh, someone asks, when creating a safety program from scratch with a smaller organization, uh, what are some good first steps for developing an investigation process that can be broken down to a supervisor or manager level in general, uh, or by using the, the CSA Z1005 standard? Yeah, so really, really good question. Um, one of the nice things is it's, it's lined up with the Plan Do Check Act uh, approach and methodology. Um, so you can, you can you can chunk it down into some very very simple specific uh, elements, especially for supervisors uh, and, and workers. Um, they're not going to be you know super you know uh, high end investigators. 
So one of the things to look at with, with an investigation process is if you can chunk it out. So I, I would just go to section four, five, and six in the standard. Um, what is your planning so that you've got an incident investigation program? When an event happens, what is that incident that you're going to do? And then section six gets into the actual part of, of the investigation. Um, so you can make it that simple. You know, so how do you plan it? You might need a form, you might need a process. There's some examples in there. You know, uh, who's gonna who's gonna be assigned to it? You can you can build that into your program. One of the interesting pieces also in this standard was the mental health of the investigators. Um, we get into some pretty nasty situations. Um, and one of the things to take into consideration was the the investigators and their their mental health during this process. Um, a lot of times when an event happens, um, it could be a colleague, it could be a, a colleague of, or a spouse's you know, family member that was killed or someone's child in the workplace. So that was one element that was put in there and that's part of the planning phase. Um, to give you an example, a good colleague of mine, um, Don Ross did the Lac-Megantic investigation, which was the train derailment in, in Lac-Megantic in, in Quebec. And one of the things that in my conversations with him was, is that his investigators, even though, and you'll get, you know, the trained investigators that, that have done it and even, uh, you know, enforcement officers and all that, they never thought about their investigators. And the problem that they found was that during that investigation process, his guys were starting to drop. And that needs to be part of the preparation of your incident investigation program is that, you know, what happens if uh, the person that's doing the investigation uh, or the supervisor, or if there's some mental health issues that are going to come up, very emotional in some situations. So hopefully that helps it, but just chunk it down into four, five, and six in the standard. It'll take you, you can develop something very simply, and you can start from there and you can build it and grow it as you build your investigation program. Great, we appreciate that advice Great. there, Peter. Thank you. And uh, next question we have for you, Peter, is uh, one of our audience members wants to know, how does the CSA Z1005 compare and contrast with the ISO 45001 requirements for incident investigation? So uh, looking at the 45001, which is the, the Occupational Health and Safety Management System, um, so it, it aligns with it perfectly. So what my, my understanding is that when I wasn't on the, CS, on the 45001 uh, uh, standard setting, but uh, internationally, the ISO and the Canadian standards and all those are, are aligned perfectly. Uh, there are a couple little nuances, but not enough that it's going to have a negative effect on, on your incident investigation program. Um, but what will happen is, is that the 45001, which is a safety management system, is investigations as part of that, that process. So you should see very, very minimal uh, differences um, because when it was created, and I know with the, the Z10 uh, and the Z, uh, uh, sorry, the, the 45,001, the US, the Canadian the, the contingent, the uh, US contingent, and then the group from, from uh, ISO were all part of it. So it, it is pretty aligned. Uh, you should see, and I think that's the way standards should go. Uh, because what happens is, is that, again, investigating an incident in Iowa is no different than one in Ontario than is one in the UK. Investigation techniques should follow a certain process in the flow. And if some, some jurisdiction comes up with a better approach, it should be integrated into the standard. 
So if there are some out there that are better than than this standard, I'd I'd love to see you know what people have out there. I'll gladly take a look at it and take it to the uh, committee. Great, thank you for that, Peter. Yeah. We we've got time for one more question here, Peter, as we approach the top of the hour. And folks, we do appreciate you bearing with us through our through our audio challenges. Thank you so much for sticking with us today. Um, and Peter, our, our attendee would like to know that um, he mentions there there is an NFPA fire investigation standard. Um, do you feel the mm -hmm. new uh, CSA standard is applicable uh, when there may not be a worker injury, but environmental release or process safety incident involving a loss of containment? So really, really good question. Uh, I, I really like the NFPA stuff. Um, I, you know, from, from my, my experience, if, if I get into the potential of having a, a major release or, or a fire and explosion, I would always go first to the NFPA. And you can integrate that into your process. I, I did a lot of work with the uh, the chemical companies uh, in Canada, and so when you start to look at releases and fire and explosion uh, on sites, it's it's pretty critical. But you can take all the multiple tools uh, from the standpoint of you know your incident investigation, your your fire investigation standards will have some good points in it, and I would integrate it and to make it you know really work well for your organization. If you're an organization that wouldn't have the potential for something like that, um, you know, you're in, in small manufacturing of uh, paper products or something, you know, throwing something out, um, then, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you might not need as, as complicated a process, but I would never stop at not looking at another standard and saying, hey, can I integrate it into this, into my incident investigations? Um, and especially if, if I have, when I go through my hazard, uh, and risk assessment. If I do identify areas that are of uh, concern, um, yeah, please use whatever you can. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of the UK. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff in research. Uh, one of the nice things I had with going through the incident investigation textbook was had a chance to uh, you know go through the literature that's out there. The, some of the, pro the the usual problem that I find with a lot of it is it, just too complex. Uh, but NFPA's got great stuff, um, and uh, wherever you can get something and, and make your investigation program better, please integrate it into your into your process, especially if it's going to meet the needs of your organization. That's the secret. I think that's the secret sauce. Great. Well, thank you, Peter. Unfortunately, folks, we have run out of time today. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but reminder that all of our unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speaker. I'd like to thank our terrific presenter today, Peter Sturm, everyone from our sponsor, Devetta, and of course, all of you who joined us today. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.